Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 154. Excuses are the nails used to build the house of failure. Anonymous. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my Indie Film Hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Blackbox. Blackbox is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content, and you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. And today's show is also sponsored by Indie Film Hustle TV, the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmakers, screenwriters, and content creators. If you want access to filmmaking documentaries, feature films about filmmaking, interviews with some of the top screenwriters and filmmakers in Hollywood, as well as educational online courses all in one place, IFH TV is for you. Just head over to IndieFilmHustle.tv. And today's show is also sponsored by Indie Film Hustle TV, the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmakers, screenwriters, and content creators. If you want access to filmmaking documentaries, feature films about filmmaking, interviews with some of the top screenwriters and filmmakers in Hollywood, as well as educational online courses all in one place, IFH TV is for you. Just head over to IndieFilmHustle.tv. So guys, today we have on the show Mark Travis. He is a directing guru, and there's not many of those guys around. Uh, you know, we have uh, a lot of screenwriting gurus like Michael Haig and Chris Folger and authors who really concentrate on the screenwriting aspect of things, but we don't have a lot that actually focus on the directorial aspect of filmmaking. So when I was like kind of just looking around the internet, I came across his DVD set called Hollywood Film Directing. And Mark is responsible for creating something called the Travis Technique. And we go into a pretty detailed um, explanation of what it is in the interview. But just a quick overview of what the Travis Technique is, is the ability to direct the character as opposed to directing the actor. And when Mark explains it, it's, it's pretty revolutionary as a director having the freedom and the ability to, to just talk to the character as opposed to talking to the actor playing the character. And I know it sounds a bit confusing, but Mark will definitely break it down for you in this epic interview. Now, this interview does go on for 
uh, a couple hours. So this is a long interview, but it is chock full of knowledge bombs. Mark brings the goods and really gives us just a ton, a ton of great information. So if you're interested in directing or learning how to work with actors um, or just want to get the most out of your actors, perk up your ears, boys and girls, because this one's going to be a doozy. And if you guys wait all the way till the end, I will be giving you a coupon code for a new course that I've just launched. So definitely worth checking out and listening to the entire episode. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Mark Travis. I'd like to welcome to the show Mark Travis. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Uh, no worries. You know, I saw your, um, I found you on the writer store on how to be a Hollywood director. I was like very intrigued. So as I did more research, I was like, wow, this is, this is an interesting concept because there's not a lot of directing uh, stuff out there. Not real stuff, at least. So I was really interested to uh, to watch, and once I saw what you were doing, it was uh, I, I knew I had to have you on the show because uh, you, you could hopefully answer some uh, some questions I have. <laughs> I, I would I would be happy to. Um, I want to make one little comment about what you just said, Alex. It's yes, not not much about directing out there, mm -hmm. and um, that's true in a way. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot out there about directing, mm -hmm. but there's very there isn't that much out there about the practical aspects of directing, a right. lot of directing stories, mm -hmm. and certainly theory, sure, theory or books you can buy on any director, Scorsese or Spielberg, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what they did. But to get down to the nuts and bolts of what directors to do, sadly, um, there's not enough anywhere near enough. Yeah, exactly. And there's also, and there's even less of that on a video. Yeah, uh, which is where I was. I was. I was. The, the, yeah, on books, there's a million things, but on video, there's very little. Yeah. at all. So that's why I really wanted to have you in the show. But how did you get started in the business? Well, I started out in theater, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and I went in undergraduate school. I went to Antioch College in mm -hmm. Ohio, which you may or may not know, which is an amazing liberal arts college, mm -hmm. um, which is a work-study college where you go to school only half the year and the other half of the year you actually are out working in real jobs that they find for you. Mm -hmm. And it was while I was there that I discovered my passion the theater, and I started actually started out as a set designer, and because I'd been studying architecture and design, and then I moved from that into acting. And an interesting story is I designed a set for a play that was running, and I remember sitting in the audience and admiring my set because I thought it was a beautiful set, which I still think it was. <coughs> but I had this. Um, sort of epiphany. I was watching the actors during the performance and I realized they were having a lot more fun than I was. Right. And so then I shifted. This is while I was still in college. I started to try out for plays. I got into a play and another epiphany happened. I was standing on the set. And I'm the lead in this Edward Albee play. And I'm talking to the director who's giving me notes and I realized, wait a minute, he's having more fun than I am. So then I decided to shift to directing. Now I continued to do all three, and include writing, but I mm -hmm. continued to do set design, writing, acting, and directing while I was in college. Then I went to Yale Drama School to study directing, to get an MFA in directing. Mm -hmm. And so my whole focus was um, always on theater. It wasn't on film at all. Um, the school, uh, the undergraduate school I went to didn't really offer 
film, mm-hmm. and Yale didn't really offer film. They offered you could sort of dabble in film if you wanted to, but it was really it's a theater school. Mm-hmm. And then after I finished at Yale, I decided to get out of the snow region where I was born and raised and come to California. And that's when I just started to discover the whole world of film and television. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Sometimes the actors are having a lot more fun. <laughs> Sometimes they are. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is, I think in this highly collaborative business that we're in, Alex, you know, I think, you know, because we're always working with other people and we're, and if we're really taking our job seriously and trying to do the best we can, it's hard work. It's really hard work and it's, it's a strain. And I think, you know, the grass is green. You always look at the other people and say, their job must be easier than mine, you know, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. they're doing. And so I, I think there's a, there's a bit of envy for what other people do. And I know that as a director, I always envy what the actors can do, especially when I'm fortunate enough, which is very, very frequently, to work with really good actors. And I watch what they do. And I, I'm just impressed. And I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. I can do it a little bit. I can't do it to the level they can. So I think there's a bit of jealousy, envy, mixed with admiration in this highly collaborative business, which is all very, very healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see, you, you look at someone like Meryl Streep or Daniel Day-Lewis and you just sit there going, Jesus, yeah. how the hell did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> so um, now let me ask you a question and, and I'm going to ask you a lot of directing questions in this, in this episode. Um, it's because, because uh, of what the work that you do um, when working with a, well, how should a director work with a screenwriter, which I know that's a lot of issues a lot of times that happens with that. So what's the best way in your opinion to work with a screenwriter as a director? Well, it's a great question because I have very strong feelings about it. One is I think directors should not do what they usually do right at the beginning when they work with a screenwriter. And this actually comes down to even how a director should read a script. Um, most directors will read a script and it's, it's an instinct that you have to fight against when you read a script is stop directing mm-hmm. and you know, you start to read a script and you say, oh, I, I, okay, I can see how I could do that. Oh no, we're going to have to change that. You're, you're already, you're directing and you're critiquing the script. And to be quite honest at that point, the first, your first couple of readings of a script that you're considering doing, mm-hmm. this may sound strange, but the script doesn't matter at that moment at all. Mm-hmm. What matters is the story. What matters is there a story worth telling, and can you get your mind out of the script, out of directing and actors and cameras and angles and all of that stuff, and think about a story? Because basically, at the end of the day, that's all you've got to have on the screen is a story. That's what people go home with, is a story. So when a director starts working with a writer, the first thing to talk about is the story, not the script. Now, a lot of people have said to me, oh, it's the same thing. And I'll tell you, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, you can take any film. Um, you can take any film that's out now that's um, very popular, like Manchester by the Sea or something. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you what this, you know, that's a story about a guy who has to go back to his hometown to take care of his nephew because his brother died. And now I'm telling you the story. Mm-hmm. Now, the script is really one, only one way to tell that story. It's, you know, that script is, here's a way to tell it. There are a dozen other ways you could tell the same story. So to start to focus on the story you want to tell, because basically that's what you're trying to serve. And 
to begin working with a writer, the first thing a director needs to do, first of all, this is something I learned from Harold Clerman, who you may or may not know who he is, from mm-hmm. the group theater, who is, I studied with at the actor's studio. And he would say, the first time you meet with a writer, you must express enthusiasm. And you listen, I say, well, that's interesting. But you realize how important that is. Express enthusiasm. First of all, if you aren't enthusiastic about the script and the story you're going to tell, if there's no enthusiasm at all, then you shouldn't be there. So there is, must be some enthusiasm, something within you that is very excited about this. Express that to the writer. Let the writer know about your level of enthusiasm or your area of enthusiasm. So you start from there. Too often I've seen, and I've worked with a lot of A-list directors, and I've seen them work with writers, and they'll sit down and say, okay, I read the script. Here's what we, here, here are the problems. And they go right for the problem. Mm-hmm. And they're not saying, this is a great script. Going, now we're back into the story. So express that enthusiasm, and remember that working with a writer, and this also applies to working with actors, Actors and writers work much more uh, are much more aligned in their work process than directors are. But working with a writer, you're talking to somebody who has spent months, maybe even years, working on this story. And mm-hmm. then, uh, basically, this story has come emerged out of them, out of their sensibilities, their passions, their fears, their desires, wherever it came out of them, deep someplace deep inside them, the story emerged and they shaped it. So it's their baby. And the last thing they want to hear is criticism, naturally, but they're going, they know they're going to have to hear criticism. But the first thing they want to hear is that you respect and honor the baby, the child that mm-hmm. is, is being, being formed here. If you don't do that, if you, come, if you come in with critique already, and here's what you're going to have to do, what happens to the writer, which will also happen to an actor when you're working with them, is their heart will start to shut down, which means that they will start to build little walls around their creative process because the world doesn't feel safe. Mm. Your job as a director with writers and with actors is to create the safest environment possible. And you you can create it, which means keep other people away from them, and you create this environment where they feel that they can continue to play and imagine and create. If there's too much criticism or even the way the criticism is um, stated to them, how you articulate your problems can be damaging. It's, a mm-hmm. very, it's, a, it's the working with writers and working with actors is the most delicate mm-hmm. uh, relationships in the whole process. And too often it, they're abused. Mm-hmm especially well no both actors and writers but writers are legendarily <laughs> abused mm-hmm. in hollywood they just they get no respect but without them there's really no there's That's right. there's nothing um That's right. now watching your um watching your dvd set um the beginning of your the beginning of your course can you i, I would love you just to talk a little bit about that because i found it so wonderful of what what a director really is how you know like what are the tool sets that they're using to tell their story and and you you broke it down in such a wonderful way um can you talk a little bit about that you know i'm sitting here alex trying to go what did i do that was years ago <laughs> i know um the the the, the specific the, the, the specific one was about um how what 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 does a director 
uh, use to tell his story. You know, that there's a bunch of different people who you're hiring to do, but yeah. you got it now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, first of all, what a director is, I mean, this is another topic which maybe we'll pick up a little later where I feel that the, the word director is the wrong title for what we do. Mm -hmm. um, it's because it, it guides us in the wrong direction. But a director job is actually to take this story that's in a script form at this point, or maybe not, and shepherd it and guide it all the way through a process that it will eventually become a film. Then a director's, <coughs> uh, the essential thing that the director has to do is protect the story, understand the story and protect the story Th through this process, through this process, which can be actually brutal and can actually um, mm. destroy or diminish the story. The director has to realize that the story emerges from the writer, so he must the respect for the writer has to be huge. I, as a director, and I know there are many other directors who will do this, will, I'll keep the writer with me. The writer is with me all the way through the making of the film. Um, that's much, many times to the chagrin of the producer who says, why do we need them and all that, but it doesn't matter because my feeling is that person who wrote that script is the original source even if there are rewrites have to be done, even if we have to, we're going to do some rewrites by another writer, I want these, these writers there because they are constantly supplying a source of information that is essential to the making of the film. And the other thing is that as I'm directing the film, I'm getting deeper into the film and deeper into the process, um, I will become more myopic. It becomes tunnel vision. As you probably know, you get in there mm -hmm. and pretty soon you can only see that one prop that you're working with at that moment or that one scene. You, you, and we need to, as directors, we need to because we're, we're down to the minutia, down, we're very micro. The writer being there, every time I've shot something with the writer there, I know the writer now can step back from the process, step out of, you know, a little bit out of the process or be more objective for the process and observe what I'm doing, not that the writer is telling me how to direct, but the writer now is watching to make sure that the story is moving in the direction it needs to. The writer becomes one of my most important allies in, in the entire working process of the film. And the act then, secondly, to understand that in the telling of any film, any story, at the core of the story is you, the writer, and the actors. The actors are essentially at the core of the story because the actors are going to bring life to the most important part of the whole story, which is the characters. Mm -hmm. There are these characters, fictional characters or biographical characters, whatever they are, but they're being recreated or created or recreated by the actors. And the actors have a very, very important job because that's where the heart of the story will live. It's going to live in the characters. It's not going to live in any other aspects, not going to live in production design, cinematography, all of that. All of that other stuff I'm talking about now is a support system which we use to tell the story as a film. But the, it's the characters, it's the characters that the audience attaches to. And so how I work with them and how you treat them, so you, <clears throat> and the earlier you bring them in to the process, the better. But directors must develop their ability to work with actors. And I can tell you from my experience and experience of thousands of directors that I've worked with, mm -hmm. 
working with actors is the most difficult thing a director has to do. And consequently, too many directors ignore it. <laughs> yes, as we can see in many Hollywood blockbusters today. Unfortunately, there's a system of Hollywood of filmmaking that encourages them to ignore it. Okay, just get really good actors. We'll just get some really good actors and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate enough to um, be called in to consult on a lot of films, Hollywood films, studio films, mm -hmm. some which I can mention, some I can't, but mm -hmm. where it's a first, second, or third. It's a, it's a relatively new director, and they say, let's bring in Mark to help him out. Mm -hmm. And these directors have very little skill or knowledge of how to work with actors. I've heard producers, don't worry about it. No, you, you hire him, you'll be fine. And mm -hmm. I'm sitting there at the table, at these, these big you know, consulting table, mm -hmm. talking about the film, thinking, no, no. And we've all seen some of the best actors in the world give horrible performances. Mm -hmm. So that idea that you hire a really good actor, you're going to get a great performance, doesn't mean anything. Yes, hire good actors. But also you need a good script. But also you need a good director who knows how to work with actors. And to encourage them, stimulate, and ignite them in a way that these characters can emerge from them. That's why you're there. That is the main reason you've been hired. And unfortunately, not even a lot of producers don't understand that. So those are the main thing. Now, then there's the rest of the system. Right. The rest of the, rest of the system, which is, <clears throat> well, it's pretty much everything else. <laughs> right. Everything else, which... Um, and I can tell you, Alex, because I've, you know, I've been teaching, um, directing, not only in Los Angeles and the U.S., but around the world for about 25 years now. And I go to a lot of film schools. I've been, I don't know, 17 different film schools in however many different countries. And one, one of the things that is um, sad, I find really sad, and it's almost consistent in most film schools, is students will be brought into the film school and they're, Within moments, a camera is put in their hands. Right. Within moments, they're asked to go out and shoot a scene. Right. And they're not talking about what you and I are talking about now. They're, they're not talking about what is a story. How do you tell a story? They're, they're, they haven't been trained in how to work with actors. They say, here's a scene. And uh, now, there's a location, that house over there. Why don't you, let's go shoot it over there. Then they send them off. They shoot it. They bring it back. And then they start editing. And... This whole idea of to become a film director, you, you must start with film and cameras and the technology, I think is so wrong. Now, this obviously, as we talked about earlier, my background is theater. My feeling is the first thing a film director should do is direct a play. Mm -hmm. In other words, I'm going to take all those toys away from you. You're not, 15, you're not going to be able to select the takes you want. What you're going to have is a story. Maybe it's just a 10-minute play. That would be fine. You have a story, and you have a handful of actors. Make it work. Make it work with just that. In other words, take away the toys. Take away all the, the tools and techniques and tricks that directors want to use and see if you can make it work. Now, that's hard. And I tell directors they should direct theater. I tell them, and a lot of them don't believe me. I said, listen, directing theater is harder than directing film. And it is. It's much harder. Because you need to work with this story and you need to work with actors in a very different way in theater <laughs> only because there are no cameras. 
right. because you can't push them to get that performance you want and say, got it, I got that, that's the take I want to use. You can't. You have to work with the actors so that they can, night after night, give a full-fledged performance of that entire play, whether it's 10 minutes or two hours, it doesn't matter. Do you have the ability to do that? And, and then, logically, reasonably, put the whole production into the actor's hands. That's what you're saying on opening night. You're saying it's yours. It's not mine anymore. I always, you know, I always wondered that about uh, play play directors or directors that, that do plays. It's like you basically work and work and work with the actors, but on show night, at, at showtime, there you have no control. No, it's it's basically the train leaves the station. You have no control of right. anything anymore. You have yeah, to. One, yeah. One thing. One thing I like to say. You're absolutely right, Alex. One thing I like to say is when I'm especially when I'm talking with a lot of new directors, I say. When you direct theater, um, theater and film are pretty much the same up to a point. When you direct theater, you have the play, then you get the actors and the financing or whatever, and you have an opening night. And you'll rehearse for whatever period of time, two, three, four, six weeks, however long it is. And then at opening night, a curious thing happens. And this is right on the point of what you were just saying, Alex. And I've directed I don't know, 60, 70 plays. I have lost count. And this happens every opening night. Every opening <laughs> night, I will go through postpartum depression. <laughs> and, it has no, and it has nothing to do with how well the play is doing. Right. The play could be going brilliantly. And I, I had one production I did about four or five years ago, and it was going so well that depression was even worse. Mm-hmm. It was just painful. Now, that, 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 it took me a long time, you know, when early in my career to figure out what was going on, but I realized what it is, and there's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. But that postpartum depression is really, I have given, I've given it up. I've released it. It's not mine anymore. And that's because theater is an actor's medium, mm-hmm. because it's the actors who deliver the product to the audience, not the director. The director has guided them, but the actors every night take over, and it's their version that night with all its small nuances or whatever. Now, filmmaking is pretty much the same. You get the script, the actors, the financing, and you go into production and you shoot a lot of stuff, whatever you shoot. It's at the end of the production process when you're shifting from production to post-production. There's a curious change. The actors go into postpartum depression, mm-hmm. not the director. And I've talked to so many actors because when you realize what an actor has done in a film, no matter how many scenes they're in, they have given you, the director, way more material than you need. They've given you, how, let's say you've got a five-minute five scene and you've done um, average of three takes on, and you've done 20 setups. Do you realize how much material the director has? But from the, mm-hmm. and the director goes, this is great. I can create what I want out of all this material. And that's absolutely right. You should. But to the actor, the actor's going, I have no idea what he's going to do with my performance. I have no idea how he's going to finally shape it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I <clears throat> once met Donald Sutherland. I was talking to him, and he says, yeah, that's why I don't go see my films anymore. He'll do a film, and he won't go see it. He says, because it's so depressing. He says, he says he'd rather live with the memory of everything he did than right. the memory of how it was reduced down to something that sometimes he says is not recognizable. So that's it. But is it also on the, um, is it also on the other hand that 
you know, a lot of these actors who, you know, are up for Oscars this year, you know, yeah. their performances were constructed strictly in post-production. Like they took the best of the best of the best of the best of the takes, uh, according to the director's point of view, and basically honed their performances together. So there is the other side of that too, that like they take the best and sometimes it, it sometimes it ends up well, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But it is, it is, I, I see your point now, the, in, in a, in a play, the director loses all control of his vision yes. and yeah. the actor loses all control of their vision yep. in the filmmaking process. Yeah. And you so just so, trust. Yeah. So filmmaking is a director's medium and, and you're, and you're actually right about what um, I've worked, had the, uh, fortune, fortune enough to work with a lot of amazing editors, mm-hmm. and I've worked with Carol Littleton and Paul Sater and people like that. I remember once <clears throat> watching Carol Littleton. She, I met her when she was editing ET, and I was watching her when she was editing uh, The Big Chill, mm-hmm. and I watched her shape of performance. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in the other room. I went, "Oh my god!" Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you're right. I mean, and that's that's the filmmaking thing. And sometimes act because you look at that, you created a performance that I never gave. Mm-hmm. In fact, the other, just uh, last week I was um, doing sound mixing, and I'm, I'm not mixing yet, ADR on a scene from a film I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And I brought the actors in, and it's the first time they'd seen the cut of the scene. Mm-hmm. I showed them the cut of the scene, the uh, brother and sister scene. The guy playing the brother looked at it. Daniel looked at it. Went, "Whoa, that's good. I never did that, did I?" I said, "Well, you did it, but not in that order." <laughs> he says, "He says it works, doesn't?" It? I said, "Yeah, it works." He says, "Thank you." I said, "You're welcome." Now, everything that's on the screen, he did. Sure. But what we did in post, we moved moments around to create pace, <coughs> a more nuanced yeah. performance than he actually gave. Right. Now that's. Quite honestly, that's my job. Actors know that, but they're all, they're fearful of the opposite. They're fearful. Sure. There's of, trust. You need trust. Yes. Yeah. You, you, I did this great moment. Why isn't it there? I, I had this thing that I was. Beauty who complained about. I mean, a great performance in American Beauty. Complained because a couple of moments were cut out of the movie which he felt was so essential to his character that he'd worked on. And so he felt sort of robbed of an aspect of it. Now this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Yep. <laughs> all the time. Now with, when working with a director and you've worked with many directors in your career, mm-hmm. what is the one trait that a director should nurture within themselves, whether it be leadership or person, uh, person to person skills or political you know how to be political what what is that one thing that really that you would say like you if you're going to do anything you really should nurture this well the ones you brought up are all good Mm -hmm. leadership skills and all that what what i think is this gets back to my uh little bit of resistance to the term director Mm -hmm. is um humility okay humility and collaboration i think we as directors, and, and, and there are also a lot of other writers and actors and producers who have the same problem, <clears throat> we develop a certain level of um, confidence that, that leads us to arrogance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we have to remember that we are in a, in a highly collaborative medium. 
You know, and if I'm a director, I'm working with a writer, I'm working with actors, I'm working with cinematographer, production designer, I'm working with hopefully everybody I've hired, highly skilled people. Mm-hmm. And all of these people, believe it or not, have great ideas. And a lot of these great ideas are not going to work because you as the director have your vision. But a lot of these ideas can work. And how do you stay in a collaborative mindset? Because my, my job, I feel, as a director is I want to hear every idea, every idea that anybody has. And I have a way of doing that so it doesn't get become chaotic. Because my job, I feel, is to I'm going to pick through all these wonderful ideas and create something that is beyond what I could have done alone. I've often asked directors, you know, do you want to make a film that's limited to your own uh, creative abilities? Mm-hmm. And they go, uh, no. <laughs> Would you like to have something that's enhanced by what the writers have done, what the actors have done, what the production designers have done? Or one film I worked on heavily, what the boom operator <laughs> I had a boom operator who would talk to me through through this sound system into my headphones because when he would have ideas, sure. and he had and he had brilliant ideas. So I think if you can find a way to keep yourself open, and it's a matter of two things: keeping yourself open from the very from day one, and let everybody know, not just the actors and the writers, not just those people above the line, but everybody below the line, that you are open, that that everybody is making. Mm-hmm. It's not you making a film and they're working for you. This is a team effort. I can't make it without you, and I want all your input, all your ideas, all and set up a, a way that you can uh, articulate that at the beginning and set up a system by which it doesn't become chaos because you don't want to right. be on the on the set and say cut and then you know and twelve people come charging to you with their idea. That that's going to be. Horrendous. And also, you're also talking from a perspective of working with very high-end professionals at the indie level. Sometimes you've got to be – it's it's good to be collaborative, and that's why it's so important to choose your collaborators wisely. But at a indie level, sometimes you're working with people who aren't that experienced, and it can turn into chaos very, very quickly for a director. Right. Do you agree? Yeah. Yes, yes. And even those – yes, absolutely, Alex. But even those people on an indie, let's say you have an inexperienced um, – We'll say, we'll say an actor for a moment. Mm-hmm. He's got a small part. He doesn't have a lot of experience. He's new to the business. But he's, he's good for the role that you've cast him in. And he is just so excited and he has a lot of ideas. And <laughs> you've heard half a dozen of his ideas already. And they're just so naive and ill-informed and not workable. Right. Here's a question. What do you do? The last thing you want to do is shut him down. Mm-hmm. Because if you start to shut him down, then his creative process shuts down, and then you're going to get less from him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Actually, what you want to do is continue to encourage him um, so that he his creative energy is flowing. Because first of all, you have no idea. One idea he may come up with may be brilliant. Mm-hmm. That's it. But, and so it's a matter of setting up a, uh, a way. Um, I mean, I, I, I say to – when I say talk to everybody – about this at the beginning, I said, I want to hear your ideas, but I need to hear them at an appropriate time. Mm, um, perfect, perfect. If, if, if you come to me, I said, if you come to me and I feel it's not appropriate, all I'll tell you, I'll just say, not now, later. Now, all that means is this is not the right time. It doesn't mean I don't want to hear it. Find another time. 
no, you know. So I'm, I'm not shutting you down. I'm just delaying you. Mm-hmm. The other thing I tell them, I said, listen, if you have a great idea, I'll use it. And I'm just warning you now, I'll probably take credit for it. <laughs> and that's it. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I always tell people that I'm like, if a PA shows up and gives yeah. you a great idea, guess who's getting the credit for that? Yeah. You'd be foolish not to. Yeah. But there is that point that you're saying that you have to create an environment that is not chaos. Because yes, I've been on exactly. those sets where everybody all of a sudden thinks that the director and there's also it's just such a fine, delicate balance, isn't it? Because as yeah. a director, you want to be open, you want to be collaborative, but if you're too open to everyone's ideas, then everyone starts thinking, well, this guy has no vision. And then you got and then you might have a mutiny on your hands. And I've seen yeah. that happen as well. So it's just a Really fine balance. It's, it's a fine balance, yeah. And you don't want to work with the directors. That I've worked with directors <coughs> where I've I've consulted with the director for months prior to the shoot, mm-hmm. <coughs> and then I've because they wanted me there during production. I'm there, and I have trouble getting. <laughs> and, I, and I go because I could they, because they're so fearful of things going wrong, and they're so controlling. And later, I talk, now, and even while we're in production, it's hard for me to talk to them about that problem. Right. So, so it's, 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 something, it's something that's very delicate. The other thing is, <clears throat> which is in one of my books somewhere, is how to say no to somebody. And all they hear is yes. <laughs> and, it's a very, and I can explain it to you. It's called <clears throat> the two plus two plus one. Uh, two plus one plus one. Two plus one plus one. It's Please. Sort of a, Please explain. It's a sandwich. And what you say, let's say someone comes up and makes a suggestion on a camera angle. Mm -hmm. And you're you're under a lot of pressure, as you always are. And you're thinking, that's the most ridiculous idea. (laughs) (laughs) And and this person is your key grip. Okay? Mm -hmm. Of course, you want him to be happy and keep working. You don't want him going around grumbling. And so how do you say... No, uh, all he hears is yes. And it's really quite simple. The first two, this is the two plus one plus one. The first two things you say to him are positive. Mm-hmm. Then comes the negative and then one more positive. The first two positives could go something like this. And you could say to, to him, let's say his name is George. Say, hey, George, George, you know, you keep coming up with the greatest ideas. It's really interesting. And I want to thank you for bringing me that one because it's really a fascinating idea. (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to do it, but I want you to keep coming up. Keep thinking that way, okay? Now, buried in there is, unfortunately, I can't do it. That was the no. What he hears is, oh, he's happy because I have ideas and he wants to hear more ideas. He's not doing this one, but he wants to hear more. And he goes away happy. That's the psychology. Away, yeah. Yeah. It goes away hearing yes. Yeah. And, and it, it, I've done this for and people go, oh, I can't do that. It's a lie. I said, don't make it a lie. Make it the truth. Mm-hmm. Be honest about it. Don't lie to them. Make all, every statement you say is true. Mm-hmm. But you have to. De- de- now, the thing is, what I just did took about, what, 10 seconds. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. And George is off going. And I'm, and I'm, and that, that question or that suggestion is closed now. I don't have to worry about it coming back again. So I, so it doesn't take much time. You just you know, it's develop. One of the things in terms of um, the film directing, mm-hmm. and one of my books is based on this, uh, the 
film director's bag of tricks, mm-hmm. which is <clears throat> this idea, Alex. There's a lot, as we talked about a little bit earlier, from books and from videos and whatever, even film school. That the techniques working with design, sound, editing, mixing, CGI, all that stuff. All these uh, techniques of directing that you can learn. And I, I would suggest that all of that together is half of directing, only half. The other half, which is equally as powerful, is your ability to work with other people. Mm-hmm. It's psychology. Mm-hmm. You're doing it every single day. You're doing it with the actors, you're doing it with the writers, you're doing it with all those people you're working with, how you handle them and how you keep them open and creative, how you say no to them, how you say yes to them, how you encourage them, how you inspire them, how you communicate to them, how you connect with them as people is equally as important. And I've seen some directors that are highly skilled in the directorial area, and I watch them in terms of how they work people work with the people and sometimes it's horrifying oh yeah i mean it's just horrifying and, and yeah. these, are, these are these are directors who have made wonderful films mm-hmm. or, the, or the director but <clears throat> i talked to members of the crew and they asked after the film because i saw the film i said it's great i said oh yeah but on they, the- making it was a horror and i heard the stories about what they went through to me and i go that's not worth it and I, and another part of directing, I think directors have to remember, <clears throat> except with the actors and the writer aside, but the rest, the rest of the crew below the line, which is huge, and it can sometimes go up to thousands of people. Mm-hmm. But that those people, my contention is most of them are not. I'm, I'm going to say this in a harsh way. Mm-hmm. Most of them. I'm not terribly concerned about how well the film goes. Mm-hmm. Most of them, and I think quite appropriately, are really concerned about how they are doing while they're working on the film. Their experience, day to day, that's what they take home with them. That's what lives within them afterwards. If they see the film later, and I've seen a lot of films I've worked on, and the crew is there, and they go, oh, it's too bad, it didn't work. But their experience of making the film was great. Mm-hmm. They feel good about what they did. So I think we have to remember that that's what these, as we're trying to put together a film where we're thinking about the final product, these people are thinking about what they're doing today. Right. So how we treat them, how we encourage them, how we acknowledge them, how we praise them. I mean, if you see a, a grip and you're standing around, and you're getting ready, and suddenly he starts moving grip equipment to get ready for the next shot that he's anticipating, mm-hmm. say, Thank you. Thank you. Just be, just be aware of that. Mm-hmm. that. That thank you can make his day. That he was acknowledged for, see, for getting ahead of the curve, seeing what... This is what's important to them. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it just goes back to some really old-fashioned values. Be nice. Be respectful. Be polite. Basic yeah. stuff. Really basic stuff. Um, now, what is? Oh, I want to add one more. Thing. Go for it. Good. Yeah, all that. Be nice. Be appreciative. Also, be willing to admit that you don't have the answer. Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? Ooh, yeah. that's a big so, one. So what do you, what do you, you go? And I, I know the number of times someone said, "Okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do here? How do you want to do this?" And and I've you know I've gotten myself 
place I can do this? I go, you know, I have no idea. And I go, what? I said, no, I don't. So let's figure it out. Now, the let's figure it out means you and I together are going to work this out. Now I'm collaborating. Now they feel important. Okay, let's work this out. Now, too many directors are afraid to say they don't have the answer. That's the thing, and that's the thing. I feel like I've been on a lot of sets, and I've worked with so many directors in my career as well, uh, being in the post business and being on on production. And you just can tell when a director's just comfortable in their own skin and confident in their ability to be able to do the job. And when something comes out, although all the best ones, like how do we do this? Like I don't know. Let's figure it out. That's always the best answer. But yep. then, but. That's the very minority of, of the bunch of people I've worked with. Most of them are very scared that if they say, I don't know, that they're like, oh, like, oh, they know I'm a fraud. And yeah. I don't it, – it's, it's this, this kind of ridiculousness of it. But I, I get it because, I mean, I've been directing for 20 years as well, and I get that. I get that feeling because I've been there early parts of my career. Now at the point, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Let's figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just confidence. And that, I think, happens over time too that – it's rare to find that in a young director, unless you're Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and also, I mean, if, if someone you're, you're on the set, you're shooting, or some you're you're in production, which is where the biggest pressure is sometimes, <clears throat> and you get asked a question by somebody, even the producer, it doesn't matter who it is, and you have no idea what the answer, you're lost. Here's a trick. This is this is from this is from my book, The Bag of Tricks, is to say to the person, I don't know. I don't know. Tell me what you think. Now, tell me what you think means the other person is going to start because they probably have an idea. And you know what it's doing for you? It's giving you time to think. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, putting it, you're putting the ball on the other side of the net. You deal with this for a moment. I'll listen. And while, while they're talking, even though their idea may be totally ridiculous, mm -hmm. gives you a moment to sort of gather some thoughts and rather than them asking you the question and you scrambling to come up with something because you feel you must have the answer. You don't, as I say to a lot of directors, you don't have to have the answers, but you have to make decisions. Right. You know, I don't know. And then down the line, maybe five minutes later, okay, I'm deciding it's going to be blue. We're going that way. Everybody will go, okay, fine. Make a decision. But you don't have to have the answers. I mean, part of production really is coming up with answers. It's, it's questions every 30 seconds. I know. <laughs> it's, it's actually brutal sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really brutal. It, um, it's now, as far as casting is concerned, what is your casting process? Because you know, casting is such a huge part of the filmmaking process. Okay. Glad you asked that. Now, you've seen the DVD, and I'm assuming a lot of people who are listening to this have not seen um, the DVD you're, ta you're talking about, mm -hmm. which, is, which is actually called Hollywood Film Directing. And mm -hmm. anybody who gets in touch with me, I can put them in touch with it. But mm -hmm. in the DVD, <coughs> Alex, you saw um, a process called the interrogation process. Mm -hmm. Now, the interrogation process, which is where I am the director, I'm actually bypassing the actor uh, in terms of working with the actors and directing the actors. I bypass the actor's thinking, and I'm talking only to the character. Um, and I'm actually interrogating asking the character a lot of tough questions. So I'm good. now I want to get back to your question about casting. Mm -hmm. I have very, very specific um, thoughts and ideas and beliefs about the director-actor relationship and then the director-character relationship. 
two different relationships. In the casting process, <laughs> most directors, 99% directors will run it in a very, very specific way, the same way. Actor comes in, have a little talk about this, the character if necessary. The actor will read a scene with a reader, and the director will either say, thank you very much, interested, or the director will work with the actor and ask for some kind of adjustments, do it a different way. I think it should be darker, lighter, angrier, or whatever. I see him as a, a bolder character. I don't see him as that insecure, whatever it is. They'll talk after the reading, they will talk to the actor, give him adjustment, and then they will ask the actor to do it again. That process, to me, is part of, it's going to sound strange, part of the problem. Mm -hmm. The problem, as I see it in working with actors, is too often we as directors, too often, all the time, are asking actors to create a character in a certain way, or deliver the character, or perform the character. What I like to do is talk to the character, let the character emerge from the actor, <clears throat> and many times to the actor's surprise, see how the character handles the situation. So, back to the casting. I'm casting, I have the actor come in, we talk a little bit, they will read a scene. Audition is done. As soon as they finished reading the scene, mm -hmm. a moment right now. I will not talk to the actor at all. I talk. So let's say uh, we're doing a scene, let's say it's from American Beauty or something like that, and someone's reading for Lester. As soon as he finishes reading, I will start talking to Lester. And now, I, will talk, I will talk to Lester about what he just experienced in the scene. Now, wait a minute. Do you tell the actor you're going to do this prior to that? Or, Absolutely or, not. Okay. No. Oh, you don't? There's no preparation. Okay. I, and I'll tell you why. Great question, Alex. Yeah. I'll tell you why. <clears throat> and a lot of people have asked me about the interrogation process, and do you prepare the actors for this? No, I don't. And my experience of doing this for 15, 20 years I've been doing this is that if I talked, if I talked to the, and I can give you some more examples. If I talk to the, if I prepare, okay, okay now i got to go back. If I, if I tell the actor about this beforehand, you know what they, what do you think the actor? They're going to start do? prepping. They're going to start prepping yeah, for it. Right? I don't want them prepping. I don't want the actor. This is going to sound strange. I don't want the actor to be working on something. Mm -hmm. Now he's working on the preparation for. Oh, I'm going to talk to the. He's going to talk to the character. Now what am I going to do? Now the actor is trying to do what he's been trained to do. He's been trained to how to control and shape the character. <clears throat> I am actually not interested in that. I am interested in the character that exists already inside the act. Now, this is an important part of my process. I believe once I've cast an actor in a role that the character that he or she is to play already exists. It already exists inside the actor, 100%. Mm -hmm. The problem is the actor has to get out of the way and let the character emerge. Now, that's a very difficult thing to do, but that's how the interrogation process do, works. That's what it does. So, how, so how, do, how do the actors react when, like, can you just give us an example of, like, the process? Are you done talking and then you just automatically just ask I them a question? I automatically, 
if you were there next 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 time I do a casting, are you here in Los Angeles? Yeah, 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 I'm here. Okay, next time I do a casting, I'll call you. Oh please, <laughs> please. oh no, I would lo- I would be so fascinated. But I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you exactly what happens. It's okay. Re- I mean, and I've done no. I have to just back up a little bit. Um, the last time I did this was for a play I directed here, and the writer and the producers, of course, were there. I didn't warn them either. <laughs> Even better. Okay. Right. Nobody, nobody. And what they saw, because I'm really interested. This is just me, Mark Travis. I'm interested in what happens in human beings when they get hit by something and they're unprepared for it. Mm-hmm. If you're too prepared for it, you, you, you're trying to control it. What happens? I'm going back to your question. I will, Lester reads, and right as soon as uh, it's done, I say, well, Lester, that didn't go very well, did it? Uh, now, the actor is suddenly hearing me talk to his character, mm-hmm. not to him. Mm-hmm. And what, if you watch the actor, it's a split second. It's a split second of confusion. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful moment. I was about to say, it must be brilliant. <laughs> it's, 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 and then, then there's a key moment of adjustment. Mm-hmm. And I would say 90% of the time, the actor will go, whack right back into the character and start rattling back. Yeah, yeah, that didn't go well. Well, what are you going to do? She's your wife? Is Yeah, she's my wife. I mean, are you going to let her keep talking? And, and you realize that the actor, the actor, now total and happy. Because this is what the actor came in to do. The actor did not come in to have a discussion about the character. The actor came in to show how he can portray a character. And I'm just saying to them, just be the character. Forget the acting part. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to even talk to you about actors' choices, all that. I just, I just want to see the character. Now, what I'm doing there, Alan, mm-hmm. which I don't, which I explain to people later if necessary or not, what I'm doing, along with my belief system that the character already exists inside the actor, mm-hmm. I want to see with that particular actor the Lester that exists inside him. Not the one that he's going to shape and plan. The one that's already there if we just release it. Mm-hmm. So when I go through a casting process, <clears throat> I am not really, seriously, I'm not casting the best actor for each role. Mm-hmm. If I'm casting Lester, I'm casting the Lester I want. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm making notes on this Lester is slightly different than this one. This one. And I need to, re- I need to remove the actor's control, because the actor's control of it, unfortunately, sadly, the actor will come in trying to, assuming he knows from reading the script what the writer wanted, mm-hmm. assuming he, uh, you know, making some kind of guess what I, the director, depending on how well they know me, might be looking for. Mm-hmm. So it's all getting filtered through the actor. And he's trying to give me what I want or give the writer or the producers what he thinks they want. Now I'm getting a, a lesson that's filtered through all of these assumptions that the actor is making. I'd rather see the Lester just pure. I can change the Lester slightly if I want to. Do you, you understand? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Otherwise, get the, the, it's really ironic that... Um, one of the biggest obstacles actors have is their own ability to think. And <laughs> yes, yes. And, and this is, and I mean this with utmost respect because I respect the actor's work. I respect all forms of training that the actors go through. 
all forms of preparation that they go through, all the research they go through. And I think, yes, do that. You must do that. That is going to make you a better actor, stronger actor. <clears throat> but all of that, depending on how you handle it, will get in the way of the character. Because your job is to become the character. And how can you become the character when you're trying to control it, when you're making assumptions about the character, what he's thinking and feeling? And many times, I do this a lot, there's a lot of actors that I work with here who have worked this way. By the way, actors love this Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. One reason is working this way, they cannot make a mistake. Right. If I ask an actor to play a scene a certain way, there's a good chance they will miss it. They won't get it. Or they won't get it to my satisfaction. Not within a second or 10 seconds of preparation that you give them. Yeah, I, I, always hate, I really, truly hate casting because yeah. of that part. Yeah, yeah. let's do this, but we, I need it lighter and more frothy. Yeah, can you be a little bit more? Yeah. <laughs> and the actor's like, frothy? What the hell is frothy? and more frothy. But if I, if I and, and now you've now you, you got the actor trying to, Translate lighter and more frothy. What the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that mean to him? He's the director. They didn't teach me this in course. They didn't teach me this in acting class. <laughs> yeah. And and now I'm going to have to do it again. And I'm going to have to. And so it'll. Who knows what they'll do? But let's say we're doing the Lester thing again. We're doing the Lester scene, and I'm talking to Lester. And I'm and I I Alex am thinking I want it lighter. I mm-hmm. want it more playful. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. But I'm not going to tell the actor. Right? Because that's mm-hmm. that's result directing, and it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to Lester. I said it didn't go very well. It didn't go very well. I said I can. And I, this is what I say in the casting process. I said, listen, listen, Lester, you're going to get another shot at this, and you better not screw it up this time. And he says, yeah. I was like, guys, because if you screw it up, you know, there's not going to be any sex ever again. You know that, right? And he's going, yeah, I know. Now I've just put uh, pressure on him. Mm-hmm. But Lester, you know. You know, you're not, you're, you know that little playful thing you do to her that gets her turned on? Yeah. You haven't done that for a while, have you? Might try that. Now, I just told Lester how to approach the scene, not the actor. Right. And I went back to something. I reminded him of a quality I think he used to have. And I'm going for lighter and more frothy. But I want it to come from Lester, not from the actor. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very fine line distinction. But if you see this process, you'll see <coughs> um, how it works. And getting back to making no mistakes, Lester, the actor will do Lester again. It may, may be lighter and frothier and play, more playful. Whatever it'll be, it'll be different. Mm-hmm. It won't be wrong. It won't be a mistake. I can't blame the actor for what Because he could say, well, that's just the way Lester did it. I said, yep, you're right. That's just what Lester did. That's the way his Lester handled it. So he will always be true to his Lester. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very um, a very critical aspect of directors working with actors. How do and now the thing is of actors getting out of their own way? The actor cannot do it by themselves. They need that other person, like you saw on the DVD, mm-hmm. who will actually <clears throat> work with them and ignite the character inside them ignite the thinking process, the brain of the character to the point where the actor's mind shifts into the back and lets the character just exist on his own. That's uh, I'm going to hold you to that. Please call me on the next uh, casting you do, because I really would love to see this. Pro- yeah. And I had a follow up question to that. What happens to the other 10% of the actors when you do this to them? 
the the other ten you mean all the people who don't can't handle it yeah what do they do well, I, I've run into problems where they can't can't handle it now the uh, when I, I can sense it a little bit in the casting process I can sense that they they feel hesitant to uh, sort of totally engage in this improvisation that I'm doing with the character mm-hmm. and that to me is a warning sign that yeah it, it doesn't mean it's not going to work but I go oh I can see they're hesitant but I know I can get past that hesitancy later if the character I'm seeing I think is really interesting mm-hmm. that's what what I'm seeing and that hesitancy is just a fear. And it's a fear that some actors have of just letting go. You know, there are a lot of actors who are very confident about their work and very skilled in what they're doing, are doing and, but very fearful of getting up, giving up the control they have. There was one actor I was working with who I had cast in a play. He was playing the father. Really good actor. And we were doing uh, the interrogation process in rehearsal. Now, he had done it in the casting, and I could see he was not that comfortable with it. And now I have a cast of seven people, and we're doing it in rehearsal, and he tells me, and it sort of announces to everybody else, okay, I don't really like this process. I'm not comfortable with this. He's being very honest. I'm not comfortable with it, and um, I'm not really good at improvisation. Now we're all sitting around there, and I'm going to keep working. I have to keep working. I, uh, I won't call on you. I won't, I won't do this with you. you know? But you have to stay. You have to stay in, in, this, in this rehearsal, in the room. He says, fine. So we're sitting in a circle. We're just sitting in a circle, and I'm interrogating the character. Now I'm interrogating his wife and his children, and he's just sitting there. Now, very purposely, I interrogate the wife and children, and I get them talking about the father. <laughs> now, the father is, is the lead. You understand? The father is the lead in the play, so the whole play sort of revolves around him anyway. Mm-hmm. And I, Now, <clears throat> and I've done this many times before, and I know that that actor who says, I can't handle it, will only be silent for about three or four minutes. Right. And pretty soon, he's, and what he did, his name is Jim. What Jim finally did is, okay, wait, wait, no, 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 listen. And he, and as the, the character started to emerge, right. all he needed was the permission to not do this. Mm-hmm. Which, and again, that's getting back to what you and I were talking about, Alex, earlier. How can we create a safe environment? I didn't want to force him to say, you have to do this, because now I'm in sort of a dictatorial environment. I don't want to do that. I said, no, you don't have to. You don't have to do this at all. But mm-hmm. I just want you to stay here. Well, that's easy. You just stay in the chair. And it's, then he became engaged. And then for the rest of the rehearsal, he was fine. For the rest of the whole the whole rehearsal, not just that day, but for the whole play. He was fine. It's actually a really interesting. It's a really interesting technique. Uh, it really is. I've never heard of that technique before. And um, I look forward to using it in the future. <laughs> it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds really good. Now, right. the next question I have is a question that, I know a lot of filmmakers and directors have dealt with. I know you've dealt with it multiple times in your career because if you're a director, you will deal with this. And I've never found a good answer to this question, so I would hope you can. If an act, Boy, the pressure is—it's massive. It's massive. It's massive, sir. It's massive. <laughs> if an actor is being difficult on set. What do you do? When I say difficult, there's many levels of difficult. There's Lindsay Lohan difficult, (laughs) which is a whole other world. But I'm talking about literally either 
being defiant on set, being publicly defiant to your direction on set, trying to belittle you on set, or just refusing to take your direction. What do you do with an actor like that? And and we're saying and we're suggesting that this isn't. We could do it two ways. One is an actor that does not have a gravitas, if you will, like it's it's a, it's an unknown or just a you know an actor who's a working actor or something like that. And then there's the movie star, which is another avenue. So how would you work at that? I know this is a complex question, so please do your best. <laughs> I will do my best. First of all, the Lindsay Lohan thing, which I mean, if if, if you're dealing with someone who has emotional psychological or um, addiction dependency mm-hmm. problems. And yeah. you've got, that, that's a whole nother. That's why I said that's a whole other world. <laughs> put that aside because then you go to the producer and you say, you handled it. Exactly. Because okay. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't want to get into that. Yeah. So, but getting back to what you're asking, Ali, and you have any actor for whatever reasons is difficult. My first assumption, and I mm-hmm. believe this to be absolutely true, and again, this is, there are a lot of these techniques are, that are in my book. Uh, the film director's bag of tricks, mm-hmm. uh, which is how to work with writers and how to work with actors. And sometimes under some very difficult circumstances like this. But in this um, situation, when an actor is even, first of all, as a director, be aware of, can you be aware of warning signs that have come earlier? Mm-hmm. Even slight resistance. Even if if I suggest to an actor, okay, this is what I want you. To, I want you to go over there and uh, pick pick up the hammer on this. Okay, fine. Got a problem? I got a problem. The, <clears throat> my assumption when an um, actor starts to become resistant or becomes very resistant, like you said, won't come out of the trailer, is doing it publicly. <clears throat> my first assumption is. Fear, not my fear, their fear. They are afraid of something. This resistance, this determination to defy authority, <clears throat> this uh, determination to draw attention to themselves, to take over, take control, to disrupt, to sabotage, or whatever, it's fear based. They're afraid of something. Now, I may not know right at the beginning what it is. Hopefully, if you watch for the warning sign, you can get an idea of what it is. And it could be a, a number of things, depending on who the actor is, their um, expertise, their level of fame, how famous they are. I know a lot of uh, very well-known actors, and I've talked to them about this, their fear of giving a horribly miserable performance is something that's going to haunt them for the rest of their career, <coughs> where a beginning actor doesn't care. They're just happy to be working. Right. But so with that actor, if you rather than address directly the resistance, you need to somehow address the fear. Now, addressing the fear, it means not pushing against them. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Oh, yes, you are. First of all, if you get into an argument, you're both going to lose. Just be aware of that. You will both lose. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to win. You may get them to do <clears throat> that shot that they didn't want to do. Um, they get them to actually physically do it, but did you really get what you wanted in that shot? No. And even if you think maybe you got it's close enough, but then what you've got is a history of resistance and conflict between the two of you, and you forced them to do something, which means the whole relationship is now um, is devolving. In other words, <clears throat> don't try to win 
the argument you're in. <clears throat> and this also comes down to working with writers too and producers and stuff, but let's stay with actors. Don't try to, so if the actor is fighting you, know in the back of your mind, he or she is afraid of something. Mm -hmm. Then <clears throat> you stop and, and just capitulate, literally capitulate. They say, okay, I'm not, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that shot. And you say, okay, great. And you change the subject. <clears throat> now, the, 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 the subject you change to, let's say you're doing a shot where the actress has to run across the field and fall down or something like that. I'm just making this up. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, she doesn't want to do it. Go back in the story. Change the subject. Go back to something earlier in the story, a scene earlier or just moments earlier. And maybe it's the scene before that you have shot or are about to shoot. You go back to what I call a point of agreement. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to the point of agreement. Say, okay, let's, yeah, no, we won't do that. <laughs> if I said to her, you know the scene that comes right before this that we shot two weeks ago? Yeah, remember when you were in the kitchen arguing with your daughter? Yeah, yeah. You say, that was a great scene. By the way, we're cutting it together. It really looks good. Oh, thank you. Now I'm at a point of agreement. First of all, I just complimented her, which is part of the two plus mm -hmm. one plus one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I say, you know, in that, in that scene, what your, your character was dealing with, and you, and you clarify what you did there, what you agreed on. If you can go back to a point of agreement, and now you're talking with Zach, do you know what? Now you're collaborating again. You're not arguing at all. The argument is gone. Mm -hmm. Now, she still may not want to do the scene where she runs and falls in the field. Mm -hmm. But your, your task now is to get her past the fear. And you still don't know what the fear is. Mm -hmm. So, but you start working from then. You start working up to it. Start talking about what you're doing and working up to this scene of running across the field and falling down. And say, okay, and then after this argument, she comes running out of the house. We shot you running out of the house from the inside. Now we're outside. And now you're still at a point of agreement. She goes, yeah. Now this is the trick. Switch to the character. Talk to the character. And I say, let's say she's playing a character um, named Joy. Mm -hmm. I say, okay, now, Joy, you're running out of the house. What do you want to do? Now I've eliminated the actor. Just talking to the character. And if I'm interrogating the character at this point and finding out what she, how she's thinking, I can tell you 50% of the time we'll end up with running across the field and falling down. You got a 50-50 shot. I got a 50-50 shot. If we don't run up that, there's another 50-50 shot. She'll come up with something better. Mm -hmm. As the character, you say, I said, okay, what do you want to do? She says, I want to hide. I want to hide. There's, there's that little shack in the back. I want to go in there and hide. I don't want anybody to see me. Now, you're doing this, just two of you, not in front of a bunch of people. Yeah, just the two of us. Okay. All right. So then, yeah. No, no, no. There, there's not a lot of people. There may be another actor there. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. You know, but, but not in front of the whole crew. The whole crew is mm. doing whatever they're doing. They're taking a break. And, but now I'm trying... What, and the way I bypass the fear, still not knowing what the fear is, I bypass the fear by getting back to the work. If, if I go to her and say, what are you afraid of? Well, that's going to make things worse because she's not willing to talk about what she's afraid of. Otherwise, she would have brought it up. Mm -hmm. you know, in other words, I need to, and this is what the bag of tricks is all about, how can I help actors and writers get past the fears they have? 
And quote, seriously, and this is something I ran into years ago doing some television, working with an actor. When I wa- I'm just thinking of a running scene now. I just mm-hmm. to remember this. And I wanted him to, he, we were shooting out at the Bronson Caves, and um, I wanted him to come running out of the caves and go down this road and down there. And he didn't want to do it. You know, and I realized why. Now, this is a, a big, not a big thing, but it's an interesting thing. Some mm-hmm. actors run beautifully. Uh. Some don't. <laughs> this actor, when you saw him run, it, it looked, he, he looked, I don't know, he looked a little retarded. Got it, got it. That was his fear. His fear is like, I don't run well. And he's playing like a superhero. He's the macho. I don't run well. Right. So it's a, it's, it's, a big a psycho- it's a big psychology class. It really exactly, is. Exactly. And so, so but if, if, you, if you get into the argument and say, well, you have to do this. If it's in the script. You run to, no, I don't want to do that. You've got to get past the fear actually without knowing what the fear is or maybe making an assumption what it is, but without saying in other words, if she says, I want to go, you know, I go hide in that, you know, I want to just go around the corner, run in there. And I might go, great, let's do that. Now she's fine. I don't know what the fear was, but we got past it. And now maybe later, a week later, I could say, you know, that running scene? Yeah, you didn't want to do that thing. Yeah. You remember why you didn't want to do that? She says, oh, yeah. I am so afraid of falling down. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had an accident years ago and I fell down and hurt myself. Mm. And, and it might be something like that. You go, oh, really? Now, don't chastise her for not bringing it up. But you go, oh, okay. And your whole, now getting back to, you're right about the psychological part, your whole job at that moment when the actor is resisting, your job is not to get the shot. That's not your primary job. I mean, you, you want to get the shot. That's not your primary thing. Mm-hmm. Your primary thing is to solidify and strengthen the relationship between you and the actor, and, and come come out of it with, you know, with if you can get it by the end of the day, they come up to you and say thank you, well you're welcome, and they're going wow I like working with this guy because he solved the problem somehow or whatever. That's what you're going. You have to think, and I think a lot of times uh, young directors are, or even even experienced directors forget that. Actors um, are human beings, and then they're they're not like Alfred Hitchcock said, movable props. Um, they they are human beings that come along with their own psychosis and their own problems and their own traumas, um, and it could be something as simple as like I don't run well, and that could yes. turn into a difficult situation. I'm like, well, you're the superhero. You have to run. Well, I don't want to run. You need to, run. and then all of a sudden, this escalates into something that could have easily just been. If he felt comfortable enough with you as a director and had that connection with you, you'd be like, dude, Alex, I just don't, I don't run well. What can we do? Like, yeah. but you have to have a trust there to say yeah. something like that to the director. Yeah. And that's about building that relationship with the director and yeah. the actor, especially with your lead. If you're doing a feature film, you're on a, a, a fairly long journey together. Yeah, um, exactly. So on the same, t- on the same topic, and this is something else um, that has happened has happened to me and I've seen happen many times, especially with young directors. What do you do when a department head tries to steamroll you or not work with you or not taking your direction? Well, because they're much more experienced than you are, which happens. I'm sure you've seen this a million times. Uh, what do you do with that? How do you, how do you act like, how do you deal with that as a director? Okay. Can you pick a department? Um, specifically, let's say cinematography. Okay. And, 
he or she doesn't want to what do a certain shot. She he or she is just kind of just trying to it's just taking the reins. Like I I think this is a better shot, and just doesn't okay. want to do what you want to do as a director because they they might be twenty years older and have a ton more experience than yep. you. But you're 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 the director. You have a vision. How do you handle that situation? Okay, again, it's it's a similar thing. This is uh, first of all, it's not fear based. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like it is with the actors, you know, at a cinematographer would say, no, 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 that's not the way to shoot this. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, this is great. We're going to have a, this is going to be a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when you're casting, when you're casting your, and I call it casting, when you're casting your department yeah. heads, you really have to find yeah, well, that's, yeah. brother or sisters in arms. <laughs> yeah, and, and there are times, and I've been in the, the situation, I'm sure a lot of directors who are listening in have been in the situation where you have a crew member or department head that has um, been hired by someone, forced upon you. Really, maybe it wasn't your first choice, or or your first choice fell out, and you got. And, and in other words, you have a, a problem, and mm-hmm. that can happen with actors too. You have a problem person, but if you have a cinematographer who's um, difficult like this, mm-hmm. and is saying no, 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 and is feeling like you don't know enough, and let's say you know a lot less. Than Mm-hmm. Let's say you know they've done four or five or six feature films, and they've maybe even won some awards. And you're doing your first film or mm-hmm. your second film, and mm-hmm. you're happy to have them because they're brilliant at mm-hmm. what they can do. Mm-hmm. But now you're into this interpersonal relationship problem. Who's in control here? Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, this does relate to acting a little bit. <laughs> um, you've got to understand that the DP. Any department head or any artist, actually, on the film has uh, their priorities or their agendas. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand with the cinematographer, I hope you can sort of discern this very quickly, is their priority helping you tell a good story? Is their priority to serve you? Or is their priority the cinematography? Or do they just want to make a film because you're shooting all this wonderful stuff and this period piece and these wonderful locations? They need... On their they, reel. They need this reel. They need the whole film because they're out. They win awards. And, and secondary is whether or not the film works or the story works. Mm-hmm. Where, now, you can recognize where that is. And your job, really, your job as the director is to shift them back to the story. Mm-hmm. Because basically, my feeling is everybody should be there to serve the story. Not to serve me as the director, but to serve the story. <clears throat> and... If I'm looking at a scene and I've staged the scene and I say, um, although this shouldn't happen that I'm on production and now we're finally talking about how to shoot it. I'm, hopefully we had that conversation earlier, but let's say we're, we're discussing how to shoot it. The director goes, no, 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 no. This is all going to have to be handheld. No, I, 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 want, I, want, I want this all locked cameras. In fact, I want the cameras locked and no tilting panning. I, that's uh, that's what I want. No, no, no. It should be all handheld. So there, there's a difference of opinion. Again, go backwards. Don't stay in the argument because you'll lose. I'm sorry. You, you will lose on the film. Let's go backwards. If you can go back and you're talking about the scene, or you're, you're shooting the scene, talk to the cinematographer about the scene and what the scene is about. Now you're back in the story. You're not talking about cinematography. You're talking about the scene. This is what, and can you find a point of agreement that we both go, yeah, this is what the scene is about. Yeah, this, this argument scene is powerful. You know, and there's, and there's six people and they're arguing. It's, it's about to burst into some kind of violence. And um, 
So, so you're at a point of agreement of what the scene is about. Now you're in a good place. Now you start moving forward. And let's say the scene is already staged, and you can explain, if it's not clear to the cinematographer, why, even why you've staged the scene the way it's staged mm-hmm. to, to enhance what the scene is about. And, if you, and what you want to do is stay in a position, a relationship of agreement. Yeah, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. Great, great. Then you, then you come to cinematography. Then you can ask him a question. So how do you see handheld enhancing the scene? Now you're not arguing with him. You're saying, explain it to me. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Explain to me what you're doing for the scene. Mm-hmm. And you're actually saying to him in a way, I'm willing to change my mind if you can convince me. And, okay, that's excellent. That's right? an excellent, that's an and excellent. And he says, part. this is how I see enhancing. Let's say he says, great. Okay, let me explain why I think the lockdown camera is going to happen. I could say because I want all the movement to be in a, I don't want the frame to be moving. I don't want the camera to be moving. I want all the movement to be from the characters. That's why I staged it that way. Mm -hmm. I don't want additional movement from the cameras because I think it's going to diminish the movement of, of the characters. And if there's a moment, and specifically in your scenario, if there's a moment or if it's able to be done, you're like, why don't we do this? Give me a couple takes my way, and I'll give you a couple takes your way, and we'll see what looks yep. better in, in yep. post. Yeah, and, and now you're collaborating. Right. Okay. Now, now, now you're collaborating, and rather than – that's why once, once the argument starts, you've got to get out of the argument. You have to pull – and it's up to you that's, to do it. And that's the, the best – person will stay in the argument. And that is the – and then it's all ego. And it's just yep. egos battling egos and no one ever wins with that. No, the, what your tech- – oh, oh, no, no, Another thing you can do. And this is a trick. This is in my book, Bag of Tricks. Uh-huh. Let, let's say um, – I just this scene I just made up, which is this argument between six people that's going to become violent and how it's been staged. And he has told me how he thinks that moving camera is going to – help it the handheld camera's gonna help it. And this is assuming that I'm very much aware of all the films he's made. Mm-hmm. Right? I've watched them all. Mm-hmm. And I could say to him, let's say his name is Fred. I say, Fred, you know that's that scene you did in that film? Yeah. Where you had the lockdown cameras? Yeah. That was brilliant. What you did now I'm complimenting him on something he had done previously. Mm-hmm. And he's going, Oh yeah. I said I said and the and the way the characters moved within the frame, the way you held the frame so the characters are crashing up against the edge of the frame, that's what I want. Now, I've, I said, I want something that you did brilliantly. Now, that may or may not work. Mm-hmm. And he may go, oh. May, and this has happened to me. I see what you mean. Right. It's just, it's, again, it's just psychology. That's how yeah. much, so much of directing is yeah. really just psychology. Yep. Uh, it's remarkable. Now, I know we're running a, a little bit. I don't. I want to be respectful of your time, and I know we wanted to get into the Travis technique. Can I, you talk? Time, I have as much time as you want. Been perfect. I, I will talk then. Um, so, can we talk a little bit about the Travis technique? Yep. You want me to talk about it? Yes. What is what is what <laughs> okay. is the Travis it's, technique? It's, and talk a, lot, a little bit about it. A lot of people it. ask what the Travis technique is, and first of all, the Travis technique is a huge umbrella of. Um, a lot of um, aspects, basically, of directing, directing, directing tools and, te- and techniques. So it's not just one technique, uh, but it's called the just called the Travis technique. And basically, what the Travis technique is for directors, it's a 
alternative way of thinking about script, about working with actors, about story, about performance, about get, getting the characters. <coughs> and at the core of the Travis technique is, um, there, there are three aspects of it. Let me put it that way. The three aspects of the Travis technique, which each one is a discipline all within itself. Uh, one is called write your life. Now, this is a writing and storytelling technique because we all have to remember that essentially, as filmmakers, we're all storytellers. And one of my uh, concerns about the training of uh, actors, writers, and directors is there's not enough emphasis on storytelling. By storytelling, I don't mean writing a script. I mean actually telling a story. Can you, as a human being, sit down and tell me a three-minute story? Can you tell a five-minute story? Can you even tell a joke well, which has a story structure to it? The write-your-life discipline is autobiographical storytelling. This I have found over the years I've been doing this, and it started out with me developing and directing a lot of one-person shows, uh, the most famous one being A Bronx Tale, which I developed many years ago. But did you work with, and, with Chaz on that? Yeah, I, I developed the whole th- I developed and directed the whole one person. I worked out with him on that for about two years before it finally went, and I wrote the screenplay with it. Oh, wow. And the, but, but that, the, um, the write your life, write your life process is fascinating. It's this very simple idea, Alex. You take a moment in your life, just a moment that you could probably um, tell in a few minutes, three or four or five minutes. Just take an event in your life, Mm. and you're going to tell it. First of all, you look at this event. That event is already written because it happened. So there's nothing to create. I don't have to create conflict. I don't have to create drama. I don't have to create characters. Nothing. It's, It's an event. Let's say it's a little event that happened when I was shopping at the grocery store and I had a uh, discussion with it. It doesn't matter what it is. But it's already written. So the, the focus becomes, how do I tell the story? I know what the story is. I know what happened. I was there. I'm at the center of the story. I am the protagonist of the story. How can I tell this? Can I tell this story in a way that the listener is taken on an emotional journey that I have designed, that I want them to go on the emotional journey through this story that I went through when I actually lived through it. Can I do that? Now, if you can do that with a three or five minute story telling it, you can become a film director because that's what you're doing scene by scene. That's what you're doing with the whole movie. The other thing is you are the protagonist of your own story. And in this process, and this is where it becomes really difficult and very revealing, Many people will tell a story that something that happened to them, let's say it was an accident or an altercation or something surprising that happened or their last birthday or whatever. And ironically, they will not be in the story. They are telling the story. And what they're doing is telling about everything that happened around them, assuming that you'll get the emotional journey of the story if you hear everything that's happening around the protagonist, them. And I said, don't make that assumption because you will be wrong because you are telling us nothing about what you were actually going through. And so what we will do by projection, we will project ourselves inside you and we will make our assumptions of how we would have reacted if we were there, which is not what you went through at all. In other words, as you tell the story, 
can you be, first of all, be aware of and understand what you are going through, all your fears, aspirations, joys, disappointments, expectations, and how can you relate that to us in the telling of the story? Now, this gets really hard. Okay. A lot of people who come and take these workshops I do on Write Your Life, <clears throat> most of them now are not really that interested in doing one-person shows like A Bronx Tale or mm-hmm. Time Flies When You're Alive or any of the others that I've done. <clears throat> Most of them are interested in the power of storytelling. And so a lot of people who come, a lot of stand-up comics come, and it's affected their, their stand-up routines. A lot of writers, screenwriters come just to learn the foundation of storytelling. So that's one aspect of the Travis Technique. The second big one is the one you saw on the DVD, which is the interrogation process, which is a way of working with actors directors working with actors in a way to actually get the actors to stop acting which means uh, we can talk more about this too alex if you want mm-hmm. in this interview, which means that the director has to stop directing now this is both fright frightening yes i'm 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 very i'm very interested about this yes please please elaborate okay this is very frightening the directors right so you have to stop directing they go what i said stop directing now by stop directing it really means what I'm really doing is shifting the director's mind into directing in a different way. Directing traditionally. This is why I have the problem with the word director, but I haven't come up with a better one. Mm-hmm. Directing in a traditional way is I read the script and I'm doing a scene or making a movie or a play, doesn't matter what, and I have an idea of what I want. And now I've got, I've cast all these actors in all these roles. Let's say I've got seven parts cast these seven actors in this role and because I think they're the best to play the role. And now what I'm really doing <laughs> is I'm working with the actors to try to get them to give me the performances that I imagine when I read it. I read it through, and as I read it, and I hope all the listeners understand this, that when you read a script, um, basically everything you sense or feel or all the conflicts and the richness of characters or whatever that comes to you as you're reading it is actually coming from you, not from the script. The script is just dialogue and action, and you are projecting yourself in. You're playing all the characters. You're hearing it all. So it's coming from you. Mm-hmm. And many directors go, oh, this is great. And basically what we all want is I could create a film that is – similar or the same as what I see and sense and feel when I read it, then I'll have a great film. And that may be true. So, but what we're doing with the actors, unfortunately, is we're trying to force them into a preconceived idea of how this should be played based on our projection. Now you have to understand you're working with two actors in a scene. Those two actors have read it too. They've projected and they have something that's slightly different going on inside them. And also, they are much more <coughs> in line with the character they're playing. They're seeing it through those char- that character's eyes. So traditional directing is how I want. And I went back to Hitchcock with what he said, movable props and all that. Right, right. And so my, the interrogation process and the Travis technique really starts with change your way of thinking. First thing is acting. Remember that acting in its, in its um, 
most simple form, because we act ever since we're little children with our imaginary friends all the way. We're all actors in a way, and we all act all the way through our life. Acting is pretending. Acting is, I'm going to behave as if, as if I am this character, as if I'm, and I will make certain choices, and I will control it, and on this line, I'll get really sad, and this, this line, I'll get really angry, and it's, by <coughs> definition, it's false. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Yet, what we're doing, Alex, is we're telling a story on the screen, and we want on the screen, like me, we want authentic characters. We want the truth. We want the truth of that character, every single character, because we want the audience to identify with those characters and be moved and connected to the authenticity of what they're doing. So we want to create the most authentic characters possible. And you mentioned earlier, which is a good example, either Meryl Streep or Daniel Day-Lewis, who are masters at Mm-hmm. And we watch them in awe and say, how do they do this? Well, one way they do it, from what little I know about both of them, is they are able to abandon themselves into the right. character. This right. is, now, and of course, you know, you hear acting coaches say, you know, just give over to the character. Just, you know, but it's it's not that easy. No. What happens is the actor's brain works out, okay, I'm gonna become I'm gonna become George now. Okay. So as soon as you as soon as the actor says, I am going to act, suddenly the main thing that's going on within that human being, you know, as the actor, is acting. Mm-hmm. If you say, Okay, I'm gonna give over to the emotions of George. Well, who is George? How well do you really know George? Through the interrogation process of the director dealing with the actor in such a way that you're bypassing the actor and talking only the character, I can ignite the character that exists inside the actor. Mm-hmm. And I can force the actor to take a back seat. Mm-hmm. The actor doesn't totally disappear. They're still there, but they, they will move in the back. And what starts to emerge is the character beautifully and wonderfully out of control. Out of control of me, out of control of the actor, but, and even out of control as a character. It's just a human being who is stumbling through life or whatever. One, one thing we all have to be very much aware of is uh, this is a sort of a clear, simplistic truth mm-hmm. that we all keep ignoring. is <laughs> that the characters in your movie, those characters unless it's a movie about actors, which probably isn't, those characters are not in a movie. Right. And you can say, well, yes, they are. I said, no, they're not. I'm going to go back to American Beauty. Those, <clears throat> Lester and Carolyn, are not in a movie. Not, not at all. The actors playing them are in a movie. The characters are not in a movie. Lester is not in a movie. Lester and Carolyn are in their life just going through day by day doing the best they can. And if you want to capture the truth and the authenticity of those characters, you can't talk to them about line, how to play something, because that's antithetical to the character. So every time you talk to an actor, say, okay, I want you to play this with a little more gravitas. I want you to play this. I need more anger here. Mm-hmm. As soon as you say that, you ignite the character's brain and you ignite the character's training and all the character's technique 
Okay, more anger. How do I get more anger? And depending on how they've been trained or whatever, they will go to sense memory. They will go to their as-ifs or substitution, whatever they're going to go to, to try to find more anger. <laughs> but if I can just bypass that, forget that, and go and talk to the character and stimulate anger within the character and then send them into the scene and see what happens. And you're there to catch the fire. You catch the lightning. And, yeah, I'll catch the lightning. And the thing is, the truth is, working this way, <coughs> when I because I send, when I rehearse a scene, mm-hmm. I very rarely rehearse the scene. We'll read it, we'll talk about it, actor to, to director. But then when I'm working with the interrogation, I'm working with the characters, we don't rehearse the scene because that makes no sense to the character to rehearse the scene. Mm-hmm. I work with the characters and I ignite the characters and I send the characters into the scene naive. Mm-hmm. Are they naive? It's really important. This naivete that I'm talking about <coughs> is the character does not know what's going to happen. Now, of course, the actor knows. The char- actor knows what lines are going to be said. The actor will make sure that the character says those lines <coughs> and all of that. So there is that part that's still going on. But the character does not know. I need that person to be in the mindset of the naive character going into the scene and dealing moment to moment with whatever happens. So when the other character speaks and says something, it's new to the character, not new to the actor. And then I'm going to watch what happens. And what I can guarantee is that the actors going into the scene will not know what they're going to do, which is beautiful. You, the director, will not know what they're going to do, which is frightening to some directors, but not to me. I love it. I do do too, actually. (laughs) But I do guarantee that whatever happens will be authentic. It'll be that authenticity you're looking for. It may not be the se- the way you want the scene to be played, and I can tell you how to change that, but it's authentic. It's, okay, now I have real behavior. Now I'm in the world of real, genuine behavior. Now all I have to do is if I want to nudge it in a certain direction, it's really simple. You go back to the characters again, make an adjustment inside the character, not to the actor on the mindset, the attitude, the feelings, and the emotions that they're in prior to the scene and send them in again. And the scene will change. The scene changes not because the actor has a different plan. The scene changes but because the character is in a different state of mind and a different emotional state. Isn't it, isn't it uh, the word that I think sums up really good performance and, and in general really good films is authenticity? Yeah, that's it. It's like because you can smell – like these big budget, you know, and I'm a huge fan of big budget Hollywood, you know, Marvel movies and things like that. Um, but and and I'm not going to get in between the like the Marvel and DC thing. But there's a big difference just on the word authentic. Yeah. You feel the characters more in, like, say, the Marvel universe than you did in the DC universe. Yeah. And there's just something there. There's an authenticity there with those yeah. characters, and it goes all the way back to the comic books. If we're going to start geeking out, but um, but generally speaking, that authentic thing and if you start looking at all these movies our, our favorite movies that are on top 10 lists or are on your personal top 10 list it's generally the authentic ones the Shawshank Redemptions the, uh-huh. the Godfathers there's authenticity yeah. in what yep. they did there yeah. um, so it's fast it's really fascinating and I know we could talk for for days uh, about uh, about everything you have to talk about uh, but I do want to be uh, cautious of, of also the the, the the listeners time too <laughs> so uh, we've got um, I have a few questions I ask all my um, my guests um, and a couple and one extra one okay. I threw in for you okay. I want to say one thing because I yeah. don't want someone saying you left out the third part so okay go ahead 
I just want to talk about the third part, which is in the sure. DVD a little bit, which is, <clears throat> I'll, be, I'll do this quickly, mm-hmm. is uh, the, what I call the power of staging. How scenes are staged. How actors are moved in relationship to each other and in relationship can either enhance the scene or destroy the scene. And this is something... In, in staging. Really, in staging. Staging. Okay. Staging is not... at. The, at the outset is not moving the characters in relationship to the camera because that makes no sense because the characters don't have a camera. The characters have other people and the room and themselves. <clears throat> and you, and this really comes from theater. You really need to learn how to stage the scene so that it, it, it enhances uh, the emotional truth of the scene. And one aspect of this, which I can go into another time or explain to somebody is that, Every time you move an actor or put actors in relationship to each other or the room or even their body language, how they're sitting, that actor, not to forget the character for a moment, will have an an emotional reaction to where they've been placed. It's just a human condition. We always seek comfort. and We avoid conflict. But I can put two actors in relationship to each other and say, how do you feel? They go, great. I feel very comfortable. That may not be good. I could change the position, and I asked this one actor, how do you feel? Oh, this feels uncomfortable. And I can like, go, good, because that's how the character should feel. So the physical characters in the room and to themselves is triggering emotions inside themselves. And the more directors can understand how to use that, the better performances they're going to that emotional reaction and it immediately gets attached to the character and now the actor is the character is doing what he needs to do he needs to be dealing with emotion that he's feeling rather than trying to create the emotion he thinks he's supposed to feel big difference very i mean literally mark i could talk to you for hours and 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 i hope we can off off air uh and have some have a coffee and definitely want to go to your casting (laughs) definitely got to go to that next casting um so um last few questions um what advice do you have for a filmmaker just starting out in the film in the film business just starting out Mm -hmm. fresh Uh, off the fresh off the boat fresh off the boat uh besides watching a lot of films Mm -hmm. um going to a theater a lot Reading a lot of books, mm-hmm. read, read, read literature. <clears throat> um, but the first thing to do is learn how to be a storyteller. Learn the art and craft of storytelling. I mean, one of the best things to do, which I love doing, is there are these storytelling conferences or contests all over the place. Go, go to something like Moth, you know, an evening of storytelling where people get up and tell a three or four or five minute story. And immerse yourself in the world of storytelling. Watch the TED Talks. They're storytellers. Oh, they're amazing, aren't they? Oh. <laughs> yeah. In other words, you need to develop an appreciation and affinity for telling a good story. Forget for the moment cameras, lights, uh, all of that stuff, editing, and even <laughs> forget writing a screenplay. A screenplay comes, actually the writing of a screenplay is the last step in the development of a screenplay. There's a lot of things before that, which mm-hmm. is storytelling. So the more you can immerse yourself in storytelling, immerse yourself into understanding characters and human behavior. I'll tell you, <clears throat> without getting into the politics of what's going on right now, Alex, mm-hmm. 
watch the news. Right. Watch watch these characters and how they because they're the they're not only the our, our politicians or mm-hmm. wannabe politicians, but also the newscasters, the reporters, mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. these people. Watch <coughs> human behavior, how they're emerging, how they're fighting to hold on to their their sense of their Point identity, of view. Sure. Their identity or their essence and who watch them. It's fat. It's I actually believe, <coughs> and Elsha, my partner, and I are doing this right now. That watching the news is more fascinating than the Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, it is. You're right. <laughs> is. I become fascinating with these people. In other words, study character and character behavior. And as you said before, study psychology. You got you have to know psychology and how to deal with other people, work with other people. And a lot of this, <clears throat> quite honestly, I've learned by being in therapy. My therapists have taught me so much, mm-hmm. not just about me, but about human behavior. I go, this, mm-hmm. is fast. this is what you need to be studying because as a film director, this is what you're putting on the screen. You're not putting a movie on the screen. You're putting human behavior on the screen and you need to get as close to the truth of that as possible. My, my wife has a master's in psychology, so I, I feel oh, you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Not so good when you're ar- having an argument, but uh, <laughs> no, you, you probably lose. Right. I, I generally do anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, um, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? I would say it gets back to something I said earlier about listening. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> listening. Um, not only to others, really listen to the criticism, critique, opposite opinions, other opinions other than yours. We are all very invested in <coughs> proving to ourselves that we know what we're doing and that we're right. Mm-hmm. Um, when someone <coughs> says, I don't think so, that's not, not, not very interesting, listen to them. <coughs> Be willing to discuss whatever it is, with them. Be willing to change your mind, change your opinion. Um, listen, I think it's one of the hardest things to do is to really listen and not dismiss arrogantly or with a sense mm-hmm. of authority um, that they are wrong and you are right. I'm going to get back to the politics for a minute. Listen to um, some of the people on either politicians or newscasters who you disagree with. Mm -hmm. And can you listen to them and embrace their point of view Mm. and see how, this is really important in terms of character, how right they are in their world. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's who they are. And they are being true to themselves. How much, no matter how much you may dislike them or disagree with them, it doesn't matter. Because <clears throat> your job as a director is to work with characters that you don't even like, you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. But can you can you embrace them, mm-hmm. these people on TV, and, and say they have been I mean, some of them I admire for how true they are to a point of view and oh, attitude. Absolutely. And they say, wow, that's amazing. I, I hope. I hope I'm as confident about myself as they are about themselves and admire them for who they are. Right. Regardless if you agree or you disagree. Exactly. Now, now who is your favorite director? Well, it changes. <laughs> <coughs> it fluctuates. Um, 
currently. Some of, the, some of the ones that come to mind are John Cassavetes. I love John. Oh, yeah. For his, for his um, irreverent passion and determination and his, and his total trust and belief in actors and the rawness of all of his films. Can you imagine what he could do today with today's technology? Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> He'd be making a movie a week. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't even think it would take him that long. I I, by, the, by the end of the day, he'd have to. So, um, the Mike Lee, mm-hmm. uh, because of his way of working with actors and his total um, dependency, trust, and faith in the creative awesome. energy of actors to help him create story, characters, and that interrelationship. So he'll rehearse for five months before mm-hmm. he starts shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I deep, deep, deeply admire that uh, Kenneth Lonergan, who just did uh, Madison <coughs> Manchester by the Sea, mm-hmm. <coughs> for a director. He's also of theater, so he comes from the same background that I do. Again, for his determination, willingness, or uh, fascination with <coughs> exploring internal workings of a character and that that's more important than the events that are going on around him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I admire that because I think that's the most difficult kind of filmmaking I can, you can imagine. I, I know for me it's the most difficult. Um, you can do a lot of things with special effects and all that, but special effects and all that won't help you explore the internal workings of a human being. Mm-hmm. So, so I admire that enormously. Kurosawa, I think, is, oh, one of my is a genius. Um, and one of my favorite films is Dodeska Den, his first film in color, mm-hmm. where he pushed color to, oh yeah, in a way that it not only exploded on the screen, but he used color to <clears throat> um, clarify and explore and, and make visual the internal workings of characters. And I thought in an extraordinary way. So there, so there, there are many, many directors. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Coppola, and I know uh, Kubrick. How about Kubrick? Kubrick, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to me, I mean, I admire directors who are pushing uh, the form, and, and Bergman, Bergman. Oh yeah, of course. Pushing the form to explore. I mean, obviously, my preference is someone who's pushing the form <coughs> or, or using. The techniques of, of cinema and, and filmmaking to explore an internal understand yet, and they this is the way I see Kubrick or Bergman or Coppola that they don't understand yet, and I guess my assumptions are hoping to understand better by the time the film is done, mm-hmm. and so it's done with a passion and with a drive and an enthusiasm and a humility. Knowing I'm not sure what I'm doing, but I'm going to keep going. Um, it's like Cop- a couple of doing apocalypse now. I, I I know where I'm going. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. He he knows the the end of the journey, but he has yeah. no idea the journey itself, and he just no. goes along for the ride. Hearts of Darkness. By the way, anyone listening, you have to watch the oh, documentary yeah. Hearts of Darkness, yeah. which is which the is, making which of his wife made. Which is one of the best yeah. behind the scene documentaries yeah. on a film ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it, you know, it's, it's extraordinary. So. Anytime I'm startled, um, this is what I felt in Manchester by the Sea when I saw that. I was startled by the authenticity of K.C. Affleck's performance, putting mm-hmm. aside all the other issues about Stuff. K.C. as 
about that, but that performance I found startling. Mm -hmm. So anytime or um, Woody Allen with Blue Jasmine and um, uh, I found her performance startling. Oh, and I, so I like to be startled by authenticity, not special effects. <coughs> um, not anymore. This is not 1977, so special effects don't do it anymore. Yeah. And I mean, there's films like Deadpool, which I thought was brilliant. It was so brilliant. brilliant. But that's character. But that's, but that's, that's character and how they use special effects and stuff like that to reveal the internal journey of the character. I said, okay, you're, you're breaking new ground. Anytime someone breaks new ground, I'm thrilled. If they keep you know, doing what I expect that they're going to do, repeating, I said, that's not that interesting. Right, um, right, right, right. Well, um, Mark, what, uh, where can people find you online? Online. Um, online in terms of websites. I have two websites. Mm -hmm. One is markwtravis.com. Mm -hmm. And the new one, which we're building now, but it's up and running, is thetravistechnique.com. Mm -hmm. So they can find me through both of those. And what are, your, what are the titles of your books? The books, uh, Directing Feature Films. That's one of them. And mm. the other one is called The Film Director's Bag of Tricks. Fantastic. And I'll put and, a link to all of this stuff in yeah, the show notes. And in terms of the DVD, the DVD is not online. They have to get that through me. <clears throat> so they can – but the DVD is um, on the websites. They can go on the websites and, and find that as well. Fantastic. Mark, it's been an epic, epic podcast episode. So thank you so, so much for yeah. taking out the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. As I told you guys, uh, this was a epic podcast and Mark definitely brought the goods without question. I want to thank Mark for taking out all that time and just, just giving away so much amazing information on his process. And it definitely uh, inspired me to try some of his techniques in my next production. So Again, if you want to get more information about Mark, head over to uh, our show notes at IndieFieldMuscle.com forward slash 154, and you'll see all the links to all of Mark's books, courses, and everything we discussed in the episode. And as promised, uh, I do have a new course that I just launched called Hollywood Film and Television Directing Masterclass, which is taught by Mark's co-instructor of his DVD set, Gil Beckman. And Gil focuses more on the camera and how to move cameras. And in this course, he teaches you how to shoot an action sequence on a budget, how to shoot dialogue in a dynamic way, and how to actually be a working director. And I teamed up with Gil uh, to bring this course out to you guys. And I'm telling you, after I watched it, I I want to I do a foot chase in every single one of my action movies uh, moving forward. He teaches how to do that point break uh, style foot race and add so much production value. But I don't want to give any more away. So as promised, uh, if you want a 30% off coupon for a limited time, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Hollywood Directing. That's IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Hollywood Directing. And you can check out the course there. Trust me, you will love it. And for 29 bucks with the discount, you really can't go wrong, guys. I'm not going to hold you anymore because it's been a long episode. 
So keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. At T-Mobile, you don't have to choose between a great network and the best prices. We give you both. Switch your family of three or more from AT&T or Verizon to T-Mobile Essentials, and you'll save up to 50% off your current service and smartphones. Bring your current phones to T-Mobile, and we'll pay them off up to $450 each. Visit T-Mobile.com to find out how to save up to 50%. Up to $450 via virtual prepaid card for eligible device payoff. Allow 15 days. Savings may vary. See T-Mobile.com.